What's up, guys? It's Matt. On this week's edition of the TKW Podcast, we are going to go through some of the defining moments of the 2017-18 season in New York Knicks basketball. Some highs, some lows, everything in between. I wanted to take a trip down memory lane and kind of reflect on what happened this year and what had us excited at certain points, what had us disappointed, what had us laughing, and kind of remember how fun the beginning of the year was at some points. So, without further ado, let's go. Hey guys, so it's just me this week, Matt Spendley, Associate Editor at The Knicks Wall. So, my idea is, I have some clips from some of the best games of the year. I'm going to take you guys through. We're going to have some laughs, have some tears, and, you know, just, just think about what happened in this past year. Plenty of positives, plenty of negatives. We had some incredible Porzingis moments before he went down. We had some great developments for Franklin Nilakina. We had some Tim Hardaway moments. We had Ennis Cantor doing Ennis Cantor things. There's there's a lot that happened this year. And it's easy to think back on the most recent developments and be annoyed. But at the same time, I want to take a second to reflect on the past year and think about what happened before 2018 came around and the Knicks kind of fell apart. Because 2017 was fun. The Knicks got off to a good start, especially November. October, November were fun. They were expected to be one of the worst teams in the league and all of a sudden turned it around and were in playoff position for a little while there. And then as Christmas came around, everything kind of started to fall off. But until that point, there was a lot of fun moments, a lot of comebacks, some incredible dunks, some just classic Mike Breen bangs. So, let's get into it, starting with the first game. So, yeah. Knicks and Pacers at MSG. So, this was an early November game. And the thing that will always define this game was, obviously, Chris Stapp's Porzingis dropping 40 points on the Pacers. And it was one of those moments where everything came to a head and you said, oh my god, Porzingis is everything that we have always hoped he could be. And he'd come into this game averaging over 30 points and then to put up the 40 spot with, you know, 15 field goals, 2 of 4 from 3. He had 6 blocks. You know, he was all over the floor and just had some incredible moments throughout the entire game. November 5th versus Pacers. Hardaway to Porzingis. Single coverage. Fires. Connects. An electrifying performance from Kristaps Porzingis. A career-high 40 points. So KP drops 40 points for the first time in his career. Has the big post-up to get him right back in in the fourth quarter. The Knicks outscored the Pacers 36-17 in the fourth. You know, they, they come down a ton going into the second half. They come back. The huge fourth quarter leads them to a 108-101 victory. 
and it felt like one of those games where KP had arrived. We had been waiting for these signature moments. We had seen some of them. We had glimpses. You know, certain things come to mind. Like, I can remember the first time when I really was like, this guy could be something, was even in Summer League, I gotta say, a couple years ago. I might have been a little crazy, but I kind of watched, and you could see. You're like, okay, he's not the project that some are making him out to be. He's better than that. And then his first game against the Bucks that year, you know, a few years ago, he scored double digits in points. He had the great game against Houston. I was at a concert that night, and it was one of those things where you check the box score after, and I was just blissful for the rest of the night. So you have that game, and it's just been a wild ride since then. The game a couple years ago, too, against the Hornets, when he almost had that three, and you just you felt that he had always been on the verge, and coming into this year, he was the guy. They trade Melo. Porzingis is your star. You're turning the franchise over to him. And this was a defining moment in his career. And I think he pointed out as one of the best moments of the year for him. 40 points, 6 blocks. And it's also important to remember where the Knicks were coming into this game. So let's not forget, they lost their first three games of the season in pretty decisive fashion. They lost the first game in Oklahoma City. Then they went and played Detroit at home and ended up blowing a lead. And then they went to Boston and got blown out yet again. But then they came back, had a nice win against the Nets at home, went into Cleveland, great Hardaway game, and then beat the Nuggets at home in what was another great game. And then after that, you had the loss to Houston at home. They beat Phoenix at home, which Porzingis had 37 in that one, so that's not a slouch either. So this game was really when you're like, okay, the Knicks might be something this year because everything had kind of gone as expected to that point. We had had the first three games that we had assumed that they would be bad, so they weren't surprising losses per se. But then all of a sudden, we started to perk up a little bit, and it was exciting. It was exciting to see that from a lot of the players. And it also came with a great moment from our rookie, Frank Nielakina. Nielakina with seven assists gets it to Porzingis. Surprised they're not doubling. Drives, kicks it out, Nielakina. Open look for three. Bang! Getting that first bang from Mike Breen is a rite of passage for any Knicks player and any NBA player, for a matter of fact, because it's the moment where the fans feel the energy, the players feel the energy, and it's elevated to this other level. And to have Neil Aquina have that moment so early in his career, because we had seen him play early in the season. He had impressed us defensively. He was hurt in the early parts of the season during training camp and things like that, which is why, again, it's so impressive that he ended up playing 78 out of 82 games, one of the most underrated facets of his season this year. But besides that, at this point in his career, we had seen little signs, and there's so much for us to be excited about for a rookie coming in. It's in our nature as NBA fans to think that our rookie is going to be the best one of the class for us to be excited about him. And while there's been plenty of guys around Nilakina that have arguably played better. Donovan Mitchell is not arguable. He's obviously been better. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. has put up some nice stats this year. I'm a noted skeptic of his, so he is not high on my list of uh, favorite picks from this draft. But Frank has done so many things that 
we maybe didn't expect him to, and him hitting a three in the ninth game of the season to put the Knicks up by three in the waning moments was definitely not something that any of us had pegged for him this early in his career. After everything he's done for the past, you know, 15-20 games at the end of the season here with his dishing, which he's always been good at, he's been so much more aggressive, you have to credit some of that confidence to moments like this, where he played in an important game, which the Knicks didn't play many of this year, admittedly. He plays in the important game. He hits the big three. He's got his teammates and the garden at his back. These moments are important for young players, especially young kids. Think about this. A 19-year-old kid comes from France, playing in the French League, not asked to do all that much. He was a solid role player on the team, a spot-up shooter, obviously a defender. And he was all of a sudden thrust into New York, into the big stage. And to have this moment where the biggest city in this foreign country is behind him and you get the signature call from one of the defining announcers of our generation and he, you can never take that away from him Breen doesn't just throw out the bang when it means nothing with the Knicks we hear it more because he's calling the games and if they hit an important three it comes around but we can't undervalue the, the Mike Breen call I think it's just such a great moment and it's something that I'll remember from this year. It's it's fun, and it's something that Frank should be really proud of. An underrated part of this game, too, that I really enjoy is that Clyde, at the end of the game, asked the question of, you know, what did Porzingis say he would do after his great performance against Phoenix? And then just listen to what he says, and it's just classic Porzingis. And Kristaps Porzingis leads the game to a standing ovation. A Porzingis masterpiece tonight. 40 points, 6 block shots. And more chance of MVP. The previous game, Mike, Al asked him, what will he do the next game? He said 40-something. <laughs> November 13th versus Cavaliers. Ah, uh, yes. The Cavs game at the Garden. November 13th. So the Knicks ended up losing this one, which was disappointing. But what an entertaining game between... The whole build-up with LeBron saying that the Knicks should have taken Dennis Smith Jr. instead of Frank, which had Knicks fans in a tizzy for, you know, for good reason. Can't blame him for that. Can't blame us for that. And, yeah, LeBron just, it seemed like he was talking a lot of smack, and then Cantor came out and was making some comments, and then everything came to a head at a certain moment in the second quarter when Dwayne Wade threw an oop to Brom. Alley up to James. That's why you can't relax on the defense. Can't relax on the defense. Oh, but look at this. How about this? Nelikina pushing him out of the way. And the crowd loves it. Now Cantor getting in his face. So pushing and shoving. Cantor sticking up for his 19-year-old rookie. Nick's not backing down. What bravado about a neophyte not being intimidated by James. I just love Clyde getting so excited about Frank standing up to LeBron at the end. It's amazing. But this was one of the rare instances when a game kind of lives up to the hype. 
because there had been some scuttle, but, you know, people kind of knew that this was going to be a game because the talks about Smith Jr. and Frank and LeBron and New York, and it was there was a lot of storylines going in, and it felt like something had to give, and it did. So we had that moment, and, of course, the Knicks ended up allowing Cleveland to score 43 points, and Kyle Korver turned into a actual real-life flamethrower. So that was, uh, you know, not ideal, especially considering that we still thought the Knicks... You know, had a chance to be decent here. This put them at seven and six, but they were six and two at home coming into this game. They had had some really great home wins, but we had Braun after the game. He posted the pic of him on Instagram, King of New York, with the big Knicks logo in the middle there, and it felt for a little bit like Knicks Twitter and everywhere just had a huge vendetta against LeBron, and it was a fun couple of weeks. And to see Cantor. Dude, Cantor did exactly what he does in this game. He loves standing up for his teammates. Some people think he's corny, and if you think he's corny, that's fine. I get it. He sometimes is. But these are the moments where you understand why people like him as a teammate and why he's sometimes an important guy to have in the locker room. You need guys like this that are going to stand up because I can specifically remember, and I'm curious how many of you remember this. There was a clip during the 2014-15 Knicks season, and I think it was Shane Larkin got hit on a foul, and he went down, and basically every Nick just, like, walked past him and didn't help him up, so he had to help himself up. And it just completely personified all of the struggles of that year, which, golly, we don't need to get into, because that is the worst. The absolute worst. But Cantor is the guy that just sums up the New York mentality in certain ways. I think he has a lot of shortcomings and I think he sums he thinks he sums up the New York mentality better than he actually does, but that's a dis- different discussion for another day. This was a fun game despite the loss and it's one that I think we'll go back to a lot, especially with Frank because you could tell in that moment he knew about that. Everyone knew about the Dennis Smith Jr. comments. It was going around Twitter, it was around everywhere. ESPN was reporting on it. People were talking about it, who would you rather have? And you knew Frank heard about that. And in that moment when he tried to pick up the ball and Braun kind of pretended like he wasn't blocking him, but he was. We all know he was. And it just, everything came there. And it felt like, I think the Cavs rode the subway that day too. It felt like they kind of viewed this game as just like a fun event. And Frank and his Cantor kind of put him in their place for a little bit and said, no, we're here to stay, which, spoiler alert, the Knicks were not here to stay, even though they were 7-6 and six after this game. But, that being said, they did have another great moment just a few days later. November 22nd versus Raptors. So after that game against the Cavs at the Garden, the Knicks ended up beating Utah at home. They lost at Toronto, and then they had a nice easy win over the Clippers at home, which is funny because if you guys remember, at that time the Clippers were deemed dead. Like, that was basically the end of the Clippers. They looked so listless. They had nothing left. And then ended up playing all right at the end of the year. The Blake Griffin trade, Tobias Harris, and Lou Williams obviously were awesome for them at the end of the year. But this ain't about the Clippers. So the game that I'm talking about is the incredible Wednesday night game on Thanksgiving Eve against the Toronto Raptors at the Garden. Knicks go on a 28-0 run in the third quarter, outscore the Raptors 41-10 in what was one of the most exciting moments of the year. To the paint, touch it over! Jack, ahead for Hardaway. And 
it in. Nick's defense impregnable now. Suffocating the Raptors as they want to talk it over. 18 consecutive points. 22 to 3 in the third quarter. Hardaway tantalizing the crowd. Mesmerizing the Raptors with his swooping to the hoop. So that moment, of course, after the Knicks were on their 18-0 run, which, of course, they went on to put up 10 more points to make it 28 to nothing. It was basically all Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway, and Ennis Cantor. KP had two free throws, I think. But other than that, it was those guys, and it was just bang, bang, bang. They had steal, turnover, generating everything, you know, at the hoop. Hardaway in transition, Courtney Lee three, Ennis Cantor and one. It happened so quickly. And for a little personal anecdote, I was tweeting this game from the Knicks Wall main account. And it was Thanksgiving Eve, so a lot of my friends were chilling and we were going to go out later. So there was like seven of us there and I'm watching the game. And it just kept escalating. And we said, you know, have have the Raptors scored? And it just kept coming, you know, 12 nothing, 16, 20, 24. To score 41 points in a quarter is ridiculous in and of itself. To make one of the runs in that quarter a 28 to nothing run is simply unheard of and it was awesome and that was we knew the Raptors were good too so this was just another moment where we kind of had some hope because the Knicks at this point going into this game were nine and seven they had won a couple more home games they had really established that dominance at MSG so to see them go to 10 and seven beat one of the best teams in the east in just wild fashion, just something we had never seen before. It was great. It was great. And it was amazing to see, too, because we had seen so many great performances from Porzingis to this point. To see Hardaway go out and have 38 points, in addition to Porzingis having 22, and then Courtney Lee had 15, and his canter had 11. We expected it from Porzingis, but we got it from a lot of other guys. And just the environment, you can hear Kenny Albert is trying to yell over the MSG crowd. There is truly nothing like Madison Square Garden when the Knicks are playing well. Being in the crowd, being at home watching on television, it's such an out-of-body experience to hear the buzz and when the refs call timeout and it just goes up and up and up another level. There's just, my God, there's nothing like it. And that's what makes it so heartbreaking when they don't play well. Because we know that the Knicks have one of the best home crowds. And they make the games that much more fun. Even when they're not playing well, MSG is still buzzing. But there's really nothing like these kind of games. And you can hear it in the stands. December 21st versus Celtics. I wonder when we think back on this season, what moment will be the Michael Beasley moment. I think that it's fun to think a lot about what certain moments define each player, and that's kind of what we're doing here for the, for the Knicks in general, and there's certain moments we've already mentioned. The Frank, the the Tim Hardaway, um, we'll get to another moment of his later, plenty of Porzingis moments. I wonder what moment will define Michael Beasley for fans, and for me it's this game against the Celtics right before Christmas. So KP in this game was just absolutely abysmal because the Knicks had come off of a game in which they had won against the Thunder at home and then they had went 
into Charlotte and lost that game. But Porzingis in this game was just unbelievably bad. One point on 0 for 11 from the floor from a guy that was averaging 25 points a game. He brought nothing to the table this night. And Michael Beasley was just scoring every which way, had everything going, and was simply unstoppable. Beasley went on fire. Beasley spinning. Michael Beasley has been instant offense for the next 8 for 13. He has 18 points. For a guy that the Knicks signed off the scrap heap, Beasley had about as good of a year as we could have imagined for him. We can discuss his value, what he brings to the team, if his shooting and his scoring is not the most efficient, he can't really shoot threes, blah, blah, blah. Let's take a step back for a second and just appreciate what he did at certain moments because this was a game that the Knicks needed him. I had mentioned Porzingis was terrible. Even, you know, this was a this was when Hardaway was out, so they didn't have a second scorer. You had Cantor, you had Jared Jack, you had Courtney Lee. You know, you're missing those go-to scorers that you know can heat up in any moment. And for Beasley to go out here, shoot 13 of 20 and score 32 points and notch 12 rebounds was just something that they needed in this moment. And again, let's get some perspective because it's easy to forget where the Knicks were at specific moments in the season at the end. After starting out 10-7 and in that Toronto game that we had just mentioned, the Knicks had kind of been wavering. They'd gone to you know, 10 and 10, and then they'd been 13 and 13. They hadn't gone under 500, but they'd been dangerously close. And going into this game, they were 16 and 14. They had the nice win against the Lakers in overtime, which was a fantastic game as well. They went into Brooklyn and they won. They beat Oklahoma City at home, which I'd mentioned, and then they lost to Charlotte. But this Boston game was awesome. It was awesome to have Beasley step up. Kyrie Irving was great for the Celtics too, but Michael Beasley's performance in this game was just, it was what they needed at that moment, and it kept hope alive for a little bit, and it basically kept the Knicks afloat, which of course kind of turned around right after this, because they struggled, they lost four straight right after this game, they managed to beat New Orleans on December 30th, right before the end of the year, but then they went, just had a brutal, brutal January, which we didn't, I don't really have any moments in January that were really all that impressive. They only beat Dallas. They beat Brooklyn on MLK Day. They beat Utah in Utah, which was a great game, actually. That was a late game, which on a Friday, so I remember that being one that it was, you know, it was tough to stay up for that one. I was struggling to keep my eyes open, but beat Phoenix, beat Brooklyn. So they were basically only beating bad teams because it's important to remember too Utah at that time wasn't the absolute juggernaut that they are now so after January the Knicks were 23 and 29 and going into February 26th they were 23 and 31 and the unequivocal worst moment of the year happened at the Garden against the Bucks. February 6th versus Bucks. Nice feet inside, and Porzingis throws it down, and he's hurt. Porzingis grabbing his left knee, and he's in some severe pain. And an Akupu came underneath KP when he dunked the ball. Uh, that's a scary sight for Porzingis and the Nick fans. 
And you can tell he's in some severe pain. Roger Hines quickly out to attend to him. Sianna Nakubu came underneath him after the dunk. And I think that caused him to come down awkwardly on his leg. The garden has gone silent. See the look on Ennis Cantor's face. Knicks gather around their teammate. Watch after he dunked the ball in Nakubu. See where he goes? Right there, right into his leg, and he came down kind of awkwardly on it. Right away, knew it. He's gonna have to be helped off as he finally gets up. So some of the Nick players will help him to the locker room as the Nick fans and the organization holds their breath. So a painful moment and it pains me to listen back to it. It was a moment that was hard to believe that it was real as it was happening because it was just a vintage Porzingis moment. He comes in with the aggressive dunk. It's awesome. Garden goes crazy and then he immediately hits the floor and it was just it was heartbreaking because you can hear even in the audio you can hear him bang the floor three times and even though I didn't want to admit it to myself in the moment I kind of knew what happened it looked bad it looked bad because if you guys remember he had that injury against the heat a couple weeks prior to this or maybe even a month prior I can't remember exactly when it was he had gone down with the ankle injury and it looked really bad and it looked like he was going to be out for an extended period of time and he ended up coming back so we got lucky there. And here we weren't quite as lucky. I recorded a pod right after this game with Kyle Maggio, fellow co-host here on the TKW podcast. And it was, it's just somber, man. It, it felt like something we didn't deserve. And Porzingis didn't deserve. He didn't deserve to have to work as hard as he did to be as good as he was this year to then go down with an injury. And it sucks that it's a part of the game. And it's been a huge, huge factor in how the Knicks are building their team moving forward. All of a sudden, even though they had been struggling to this point, they were, as I mentioned, they were 23 and 31. It became a scenario where they went on to lose a ton of games. The Knicks only ended up winning five or six games. They ended up winning 29 games, and they had won 23 to this point. So their whole outlook switched. We had no reason to win games anymore. The tank was in full effect, but unfortunately they had banked too many wins at this point, so it didn't quite matter. But in a broader sense, all of a sudden, the next season had been affected too because Porzingis will be out. And we know that he'll be out until at least December this year. I think he should just take as much time as he needs. If he doesn't come back, that's fine. It's the the heartbreak on the fan side and KP side even more so it hurts and it still hurts and it's always going to hurt it's a moment that I hated having to watch I hated having to cut the audio up for this because it's a moment that I don't want to relive and none of us want to relive but it's going to matter in the future and we all have hope that KP is going to come back stronger and better than ever it's tough when he's as tall as he is he's been banged up this was a freak injury where Giannis ended up a little under him just in the specific moment. It wasn't anyone's fault. And it just, it turns 
our ideas as fans into something that we don't usually have to, to confront. Because we don't normally have to confront the human side of things. We can if we want to, but it's not always what we're forced into. We're able to view these guys and we're able to enjoy the game. But when someone gets injured that we love and embrace as much as New Yorkers embrace a guy like Porzingis, it becomes real. And it becomes something that we didn't think we'd have to go through. And we didn't think he'd have to go through. So at the end of the day, it is never going to be a moment we want to come back to. We'll never want to have it happen to anyone. And obviously, Porzingis is just the strongest guy, and we know he's going to come back. And it still hurts. But there was a couple moments left in the season that kind of gave a glimpse into the future that could manifest itself into some positives moving forward. February 14th versus Wizards. Tim Hardaway Jr. Potentially the most controversial New York Nick. I am a big fan of his. I understand that not many are. He had a tough year at points, but this game against Washington was a real fun one, at least for the first half, which I think is pretty a pretty good indication of the Knicks season in general. The first half was fun, and the second half sucked. It's about what we experienced as fans. So Hardaway goes out and scores 32 points in the first half, just an absolute offensive explosion. And it's something that we knew he's always had in him. He had that great game against Cleveland earlier in the year. He had some moments where he'd just come down and shoot threes. We saw him do the shimmy a ton of times, hitting threes in close games. He took a lot of crunch time shots for the Knicks, which was important and will be important to have him as a threat on the perimeter in close games. But this game was something else because he had 17 going into the last five minutes of the second quarter. And then it was just, you know, bang, three, bang in transition. He was hitting everything and caught a great lob from Jared. Jack was a great moment. Just a few days after the Garden had been destroyed by Porzingis' injury, this was an awesome pick-me-up, at least for a little bit. Crowd, crowd right now. They want him to shoot every time. Hardaway fires again. Bang! There, there's the shimmy, Mike. His 31st half points for Tim Hardaway. And the shimmy's back. Shot by Porter won't go. Cantor with his sixth rebound. The crowd wants more. They want him to shoot from half court. Bumped by Porter. Hardaway gets inside the floater. That's good. 32 and counting. Season high has been 38. You should obliterate that tonight. Clyde, I hate to break it to you, but he did not break his scoring record for the year on that night. Only ended up with 37. The Knicks lose the game, drop to 23 and 36. Their fifth straight loss with Porzingis out of the lineup. Just got decimated in the third quarter, lost 39 to 15. Hardaway went cold. They didn't get a lot from other guys. Beasley was pretty inefficient. Courtney Lee didn't have a great game. They only had, you know, four guys off the bench. It was tough, and as I mentioned, it was emblematic of the season in New York that you had the great first half, and I remember going into halftime, and I think I was tweeting that game too, and I was asking people how many points Hardaway was going to finish with, and a lot of people were saying 48, 46, but you had a lot of people saying, you know, 38, which is 
basically what he ended up with. And I think it says a lot about what people think of him. But I've made my stance clear on this, and I'll reiterate it to make sure that it's on the record. He's overpaid. I'll admit it. There's no denying it. He's overpaid. But how much is he overpaid? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is he overpaid by a total of, you know, $15 million on his contract? So $4 million a year about, which is not insignificant, but it's not crushing. Or is he overpaid by $30 million? Is he overpaid by more like $8 million a year? It's tough to say. His three-point shooting was not great this year. But we need to remember some of the stretches he had were terrible. He had some injury struggles. He missed a ton of games in the beginning of the year. So if he can stay healthy and start to refine his shot selection, and hopefully a new Knicks coach can reel him in a little bit and say, hey, listen, turn some of those long twos that you kind of take into some threes that will get you on the spot up. Or run in transition whenever you can because it's the best thing you do and we want to maximize your skill set. The Knicks are stuck with him. If you don't like him, I get it. But I'm, I'm telling you to have some hope because I think that he can still be a very good player. He's never going to be a great defender, but he can be a great spot-up shooter, just can light up the scoreboard with the best of them. And his three-point shooting, I really think, is going to come back next year. So while the contract may not be great, we can split hairs about exactly his, how you feel about his performance this year. But moving forward, he, you're stuck with him. So let's hope that the new Knicks coach can kind of do what's best and bring him back in. But here's the call from Breen after the game, which just perfectly sums up the feeling of every Knicks fan after this contest. Excruciating, devastating loss. And the Knicks now have lost eight straight and this one really hurts as they blow a 27-point lead. Fourth time this season, the Knicks have blown a game in which they led by 21 or more. Tim Hardaway had the half of his career, was brilliant with 32 points in the first half, but really struggled in the second half. March 26th versus Hornets. So with the loss of Porzingis fully established at this point after the Washington game, the Knicks would go on to lose every game from then on except against the Magic at the end of February, but they lost a ton of games. I think it was 16 of 17, something wild like that. They were just in absolute travesty. They won a couple games back-to-back against the Bulls and the Hornets at the end of March. They had a couple close games. They lost to Minnesota at home. They beat Washington at Washington. And then they came out on... March 26th, and probably the brightest spot of the second half after Porzingis injured was Trey Burke, who really started to come into his own after a career of disappointments. He had a wildly successful time at Michigan, made a national championship, was national player of the year, and he got drafted by Utah and just severely struggled in the NBA to the point where he wasn't on a team coming into this season. The Knicks signed him on one of the last possible days, sent him to the G League, which he just lit up. He tore up the G League. He was third in G League MVP voting, and he didn't even play for the last month, month and a half of the year, which tells you all you need to know about 
how good he was for Westchester. So he'd come into New York, and I still am not the biggest Trey Burke believer. I don't think that he can be a starter. I think that he can be a great spark plug six-man off the bench because he can score in a variety of ways. But for a litany of reasons, I'm not the biggest believer in his game. Besides that, it's undeniable to say that it was exciting to watch him, and it got us feeling that he could be a part of this team moving forward, which we can't say about everyone on the roster. For him to reinvent himself in the way that he did is unheard of. It's very rare for a guy to wash out of the NBA and come back and score as much as Burke did. He put up, you know, 12 points a game for the Knicks this year in limited time at some points, and he was a great assist guy. He had one of the best assist to turnover ratios. But the defining moment of this season was his performance in Charlotte against Kemba Walker and the Hornets. Burke has to be exhausted. Played 38 minutes, jump shot, got it! <laughs> Trey Burke with 38. Again, Walker, good defense there. Five to shoot. Burke gets away, pulls back, pull-up jump shot, puts it in! Trey Burke, electrifying performance here tonight. 42 points from a guy that had been in the G League just weeks before. It's absurd, absolutely absurd. Trey Burke is a small guard that had been at a disadvantage for his whole career. And this was the problem. He was small, and he was struggling to get in around the rim and score. But in this game, he was just lighting it up. And he had most of his points in the second half. It was probably the most exciting game of the last, you know, month, month and a half of the Knicks season because they hadn't been in any games where you had kind of wanted them to win. It was a rare thing. We had all wanted them to lose for lottery odds. And this was a game that I was totally fine with them winning. Where Trey Burke is going to go out, you feel great for the guy. He scores 40 points, 42 points, and the Knicks got a win and it was because of him. It would have been a great moment. Of course, the Knicks end up losing, which I feel like that's how a lot of these things have gone. Which, again, just completely sums up this season for the Knicks. So the Knicks end up losing. Burke scores 42. They lose in overtime. Kemba basically just sticks the dagger in him in overtime. But it was a fun duel to watch. And you could kind of squint at a game like this and say, I could see Trey Burke going head-to-head with a lot of these good guards in the NBA and holding his own. And that was ex- it's just a great moment for Knicks fans to have just a glimpse. We only asked for a glimpse. In a season that was as lost as this one was after KP's injury, all we ask for are these tiny moments where we can extrapolate them into the future and say, this could become a trend rather than an exception. We saw it with Trey Burke. We saw it with Damian Dotson scoring 30 points a few nights ago. We saw plenty of it with Frank Nielakina. Dare I say we saw some with Luke Cornett. And I'm not a big Isaiah Hicks guy, but I mean, I don't think we saw much from him. (laughs) But throughout the roster, it's the glimpses that we ask for from the young guys. It's not easy to watch a bunch of 21 and 22-year-olds try to figure it out on the fly, which is what we watched for all of March and April at the end here. But part of it is it's a little refreshing in a very stale and bitter way because it doesn't it's not an enjoyable product to watch. But it's the moments where Frank has a great behind the back pass or he has a great fake and he drives to the rim or Frank dunks. 
Trey Burke with the great step back jumper. Luke Cornett nails the three. Damian Dotson scores 30 and is just grabbing rebounds off the bench like an animal. Those are the moments that we'll look back on if these guys end up coming the players that we hope they can be and say, hey, I remember when Frank had that nice game where he scored 13 points and had 8 assists, and now he's averaging 13 points and 8 assists. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it could. There's plenty of universes that exist where Frank Nielakina is a perfectly capable starting point guard that's the best defender in the league. There are situations where Trey Burke wins a six-man-of-the-year award. There are situations where Damian Dotson is a great wing scorer and a wing defender. And I'm not saying these are the most realistic scenarios, but they are scenarios that could happen. And we can always say that with players. So it's encouraging. And of all the moments from this year, my favorite will be all of the KP stuff before he was hurt and before the Knicks started to struggle in December. The November game against the Hornets, too, where he had that great shot to tie it. The Indiana game that we mentioned, the Phoenix game where he had the block and then he came down and dunked it in transition and, you know, got the N1 and he's stepping around everywhere. The Garden is just going ballistic. Anything Frank did this year make me happy and I have really high hopes for him. I don't know if he'll ever be an all-star. I don't know if he'll ever be better than Donovan Mitchell. We know he probably won't be. Will he be better than Dennis Smith Jr.? I certainly think so. He has a shot at being the best defensive point guard in the league while also being a competent three-point shooter and being a point guard that has remarkable vision. So we've seen plenty from him. Those two guys kind of define this year for me. The Trey Burke stuff is fun. The fact that I'm not a big Trey Burke believer deflates it a little bit, but it was still fun to see him go out there and to see a guy that struggled for so long really start to come into his own and make an impact. It's a great story that any of us can relate to. Plenty of negatives. Porzingis injury. Hardaway wasn't great. Lance Thomas had a down year. I didn't even get to mention Kyle O'Quinn in the positives, which because he's not a big, you know, highlight guy. So it's not the moments specifically that define him. But my God, was he great this year. And it's going to hurt when he's gone next year. And Ennis Cantor, too, had a great statistical season. He loves playing in New York. We had mentioned him with the LeBron Cavs incident. We'll see what he decides to do next year because he's talked about opting out of his contract. So if he's back in New York, I'm sure most of us will be totally fine with that. It's his money that makes it a little tough, and it's the fact that his defensive deficiencies make it hard to build a workable defensive unit around him. So I'm fine if he opts in next year and then the Knicks decide to reevaluate the situation after that. I don't think he should be a big part of their future, but I also won't be actively upset if he's on the roster next year. So all in all, it was a disappointing year in New York, and it was a melancholy two months at the end of the season and the worst possible thing that could happen for this team ended up happening it's something that we wouldn't have wanted to happen in any scenario it was our nightmare and it happened but we got to get back we got to pick ourselves up have some hope for the future and 
whether or not you have faith in the Knicks front office is something to consider because they had a press conference today in which they talked about hiring a new coach. They said the right things. We'll see if they follow through on them. I am not worried about the direction of the franchise, which is something I haven't been able to say in a few years. I might be naive. It's certainly possible. They could do something very dumb. But I'm going to bet that they don't. And I could be wrong. So it's totally up to you how you like to view the future. I like to be a little on the optimistic side because I think if we're just complete pessimists, especially in sports, what fun is that? If we're always expecting the worst possible thing, that doesn't make it fun. So with that being said, those are my defining moments from the season in Knicks basketball. I'm going to send you guys out with a little Michael Beasley supercut. So enjoy Michael Beasley being hysterical, and I'll see you guys next week. She can research the human brain and da da da, right? Okay. It says that the like we are only capable of using ten percent of our brain, right? Yes. You believe that? No, it's yeah, that's yeah. Did you about to say it's true? I'm saying that's what people oh. say. That that is that so, is the consensus. So the consensus scientifically. So who was the guy that used eleven? that made it okay to say everybody just used to take. That isn't the right logic. No, 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 just, 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 no, no, just, 10% of your just, brain just, is just, the one that just, said 10%. No, because if you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. Like, like, he knew it was 10% of your brain he? based on your brain. Who you don't have he? to be using 11% to know someone else. He's saying, I'm 10%, you're 10%, like, everyone's 10%. That is not mathematically correct. That is not like like someone had. But you have to have been using more than ten percent of your brain to know that everyone else uses. Yes, because if you're only using ten percent of something, that means you don't know the rest of the ninety. You don't know the rest. Yeah, you're right. So I'm right. Perfect. No, no, no. You're right about the ninety and the ten. Okay, so if I'm only using ten, right? I'm the first person in the world, right? Say I'm Adam, and I wrote that we can only use 10% of our brains. That means I would have to surpass the number no. 10. No, okay, let me break this down for you. I actually look more to pass than I do to score now, because, you know, not to be cocky or anything, but it's so easy. Um, so I actually look to create more. I actually look at the second defender more than my defender, if that makes any sense. Um, so. Carmelo's like been my mentor. Like, if you watch my game, like you really watch my game, my jab series and all that, I'm literally just Carmelo on the left side of the floor. I still think I have a chance to be, you know, one of the best in the NBA. You know, like your favorite player, I'm your favorite player, so you know, and, and it's not enough for me, for him to know that. Nah, I want the world to know. You know, so I'm still working hard as if I can be the best ever. Um, if you doubt it, if you don't believe it, um, you just make my story and my triumph that, that much better. It's been real. It's been fun. But it ain't been real fun.